It's great to be with you. My name's Adam. I'm part of the leadership team at Kingsgate Community Church down the road in Great Yarmouth. It's great to be with you. Um, it's so great to be here on a gift day for you as a church. 20 years ago, I was in Attleborough. We were planting a church called Christ Community Church, and I was sketching the first ever budget for Christ Community Church. Um, there was not a lot of expenses, to be honest. I was working for Norfolk County Council at the time, and um, we sketched out the budget for the first year of this new church, and it was £6,000, and there was that many givers in the church. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, how on earth are we going to be able to pay for £6,000 worth of cost? We believe God's called us to this, but how on earth are we going to be able to pay for that? By the time we left, five years later, the budget was significantly higher and God had been faithful to the church. That church just now, about three weeks ago, bought a piece of land in Attleborough uh, that is nine acres. Um, and it's the old brush factory in the centre of Attleborough. And uh, long story short, the company that owned this land was trying to sell it for £1.8 million. And um, the church got in touch with them and said, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So the owner came down from Birmingham to Attleborough, walked around the site. They shared the vision of what they wanted to do in the town. And he says, why don't you make me an offer? And Ruth Oyeni, who's one of the trustees, a good friend of ours, she says, well, why don't you just give us the land? Um, <laughs> And uh, he said, I'm considering it. Six weeks later, he came back saying, I'm not allowed to give it to you, but make me an offer. What about £500,000? And they said, no, what about £200,000? And he said, yes. And so what a wonderful story of God's faithfulness from £6,000 to now buying this monster site. I mean, it's scary. I'm looking at this thinking, gosh... What on earth are they going to do with all of this land? Two massive factory units, office facilities on site. It's amazing. And, and, and that started in a budget of £6,000. And so what I'd love to do is I'd love to pray for you in this really important time as a church. Uh, some of you have got brown envelopes. I'm guessing many of you are giving electronically. Friends, the amount doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're doing this together as a church. You're going on a journey of faith, believing God, that after 30 years, I was talking to somebody earlier, and they say, after 30 years, you've suddenly arrived at this place of thinking about a building. Praise God, hey? Praise God that he's the one who is at work here. So can I pray for you all? Is that all right? Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God. We thank you that you always provide for your mission. Lord, you never leave us in a place of lack. And so I pray for this church now as they are going through a season of sacrificial giving. I pray that you would provide for all that they need. Whatever that budget bottom line is for this building, I pray that you would provide for them through the generosity of your people through the sacrificial giving of your people, and through other unexplained means. Lord, I pray that you would provide 
for them. And Lord, I want to pray that there would be no barriers to them getting into this building. They believe that you've called them to it, so we pray that you would open every door, that there would be no red tape that would stop them being able to be in this building. And Lord, we pray that it would be a tool for mission in the days ahead. Amen. Amen. Um, Just one of the introductory thing to say, uh, I'm probably one of very few people in the UK that read the Church Times, Uh, and recently in the Church Times there was an article that said, uh, and the Church Times is written for Church of England churches, and what I'm about to say is in no way disparaging to Church of England churches, I'm speaking kind of using it as an illustration of what's happening here in the UK but 66% of Church of England churches here in the UK would not have this, look through these windows. 66%. And so uh, I want to just say to you as a church, what is happening in the other room is as important as what's happening here right now. That you are building for another generation. And I think as churches in our generation and our culture, we need to fight hard for kids and youth ministry. We need to fight hard for it and believe God that even in our generation with all the other things that are going on, that actually we're able to build a church where kids love being part of God's people. Um, One of the reasons my wife can't be here with me today is that she's leading worship, but my kids, my teenage daughters are part of our kids team at Kingsgate, and so they couldn't come, and Lorna couldn't come, but they wish they were here with us. So keep looking through that window whilst you're here. Keep praying that that room will be way too small, and that they're going to be asking you to move in there, and the kids are in here. Okay, they're the kind of prayers to pray over this coming season. Um, you're in a season of, of um, looking to buy a building, um, These are very exciting seasons. However, they can also be seasons where you start to focus on electrical wiring, gas certificates, carpets, colours, chairs. None of these things are wrong. But in the midst of it, I want to speak on a subject that I think is foundational for healthy church life. Foundational. And so, really, what I want to encourage you today is just pause on thinking about wiring and colours. Just pause for a few moments. And I want you to think about a subject with me that I think is vital if new life beckles is going to flourish in this coming season. Is that okay? And the subject is a subject that many people, when they hear it, it tastes like gone-off milk. Okay, so I've got a bit of a hard gig this morning to like offer you a glass of sour milk and say, drink that, it will be good for you. But honestly, I believe if we spend some time thinking about this, it's going to be good for you as a church. And I want to speak on the subject of spiritual authority. I want to speak on the subject of authority. I want to speak on the subject of what does it look like to be a church community that lives under Christ's authority? What does that look like here 
in Beckles. And I reckon that for almost every single person in, in this room, this subject is a struggle. And the reason it's a struggle is that for some of us here, maybe when you hear the word authority, what happens is in your head, you jump back to a moment in your life, maybe when you were in a workplace, maybe in a family, maybe in a previous church environment, where you associated the word authority with something that was painful. And so you put those two things together and you go, gosh, I don't want to go there again. So that's one reason. I think another reason why the subject of spiritual authority is so difficult for us is that we live in a culture, and I think we can sum the culture of our day up like this. Me, myself, and I. Everything in our culture is basically programming us to think that the culture needs to serve us and help us be fulfilled, and help us to live meaningful lives. And then when we hear the word authority, often it's authority that's stopping us from doing that. So we resist it. The final reason why I think most of us struggle with this, and if you're willing to be honest, just like me, the primary reason why most of us struggle with the subject of authority is the word pride. Pride in the human heart from Adam and Eve, every human wants to be king or wants to be the queen. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve was saying, God, you step aside. We want to be the center of this new universe. We want to be king. We want to be queen. And every descendant since Adam and Eve has done exactly the same thing. And so every time we speak about the subject of authority, it's just going to be tough. So have I persuaded you? Yeah? Is anyone here? Yeah? In Great Yarmouth, I'd be having raucous shouts by now. Uh, Anyway, let's read some scripture together. I'd love you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm actually going to read from the ESV translation. It's very similar to the NIV, but there's just a few things I want to point out. 1 Peter 5, and we're just going to read the first six verses. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge of you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I've just got three simple ideas that I want to encourage, stir, challenge you with this morning. The first is this, leadership is good and should be joyfully 
embraced. Leadership is good and should be joyfully embraced. Here's where I get that idea from this passage. Peter is writing to a local church. Now, if he'd have wanted to speak to the elders on their own about the issue of leadership, he could have written them a private letter. But he doesn't. What does he do? He writes to the church. So imagine that I'm back in Great Yarmouth and I write a letter to New Life Beckles. How likely is it that I would put into that letter a whole subject about leadership? But that's what Peter does. He writes to the church. And one of the reasons he writes to the church is he wants the church to understand leadership is important. You need to understand it. Whether you're a leader or not in the church, you need to understand that leadership is important. Leadership matters to every single person in the church, including you. Now, I'm aware that as a church, you're in a a new season. I believe there's been some elders appointed here, right? Who's an elder here? Why don't you stand? Okay. Now, uh, and obviously James is on shepherd uh, this weekend. Now, these guys are precious to you, aren't they? These are precious, precious gifts to you. And it's really hard in your own church to say these things. And so that's why I get the privilege to say this. These are precious. In my own church that I'm part of, I'm thrilled that I serve alongside other godly leaders in the church. Leadership is precious. Why don't we give these guys a round of applause? Honor them. Thanks, guys. You can take your seat. And so I guess, I guess what I want to do is, I want to encourage you, leadership is precious. Honor it. Treasure it. Pray for it in the church. Because as the church grows, your leadership gift is going to need to expand as the church grows. And so pray for it over this coming season. And then the second thing to say is really, um, under this first heading, is that Peter lists a whole bunch of attributes to what leadership looks like. And it's really important for you and I living in our culture where there are lots and lots of models of leadership in our day that are completely anti-God, anti-Christ, that we actually go back to Scripture and say, we want leadership that looks like this. We want to pray for leadership that looks like this. And so, what does Peter do? The first thing is this. He encourages us, he reminds us that leadership is always plural in the local church. Plural. There is only one who can dwell in the sole light of supreme authority, and his name is Christ. Because he's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. All other leadership is always subject to Christ. And so leadership is plural. In Acts 20, when Paul is uh, writing to the, uh, talking to the elders in, a, in a Ephesus, he always speaks of them as in plural. In Titus, we hear that he writes to the elders. 
leadership is always plural. What does that mean for you and I? It means this. Never, never, ever look for the charismatic, soul, lone ranger leader who will save the day. They will let you down. We look for Christ, who is the head shepherd, and we look for his under-shepherds, who will do his work. That's what we look for in leadership. The second thing just to notice here is that um, Peter uses three interchangeable words to describe the same role. And this is fascinating for me, and it makes me smile, and I think it gives you plenty of opportunity to rib and jest the elders who are here at New Life. So I want to give you lots of ammunition. Is that okay? So here are the three words. He uses the word elder, he uses the word pastor stroke shepherd, and he uses the word bishop stroke overseer. Okay? So you've got plenty of ammunition there already, haven't you? You could call them your bishops. Okay? And these words are interchangeable. He's using them interchangeably. It's not like there's a hierarchy. No, they're interchangeable words to describe the same role in the church. So let me just explain those. The first is this word elder. And for anyone who was around in Peter's day, this would have been a really normal word. The reason it would have been a normal word is that within their culture, there were elders in every town and every village, and they would basically make decisions on behalf of the community that they were looking after. So they would sit at the town gate, they would chew over issues, hmm, that's a tricky issue, what do we do? They would draw advice from the community, and then they would make some decisions. And that idea has now been applied to the church and saying, it's really important in a church that you have people who are able to look after Make good decisions for the church. That's really important, isn't it? Isn't it? I think it's important. The second word is this word pastor. And again, it basically just means shepherd. And right from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through, this word shepherd has not just been applied to humans, but it's been applied to God himself. In Genesis 48, we read this. The God who has been my shepherd all my life. And so for the people of God, this idea of shepherding is a really important idea, and it basically means this. Leaders need to protect God's people. So how do we protect God's people? One of these guys' responsibilities is safeguarding. You didn't expect me to go there, did you? Safeguarding is not a tick box exercise in a church community. Safeguarding is them fulfilling their eldership responsibility to look after the most vulnerable within the community, children and vulnerable adults. It's their responsibility. It's part of the pastoral mandate that has been placed upon them. We look after those who are vulnerable within our midst. We protect. But more than that, we feed one of my responsibilities, if, if ever you come to Kingsgate, you'll normally see me holding up a book on a Sunday. Why don't you read this book? Because our world is filled with millions of books. And about three quarters of a million of them is like eating McDonald's every day. It might feed you, but it's not going to make you healthy. 
And so part of it is just helping people to kind of work through the chaos that is the Christian world and say, read this. This is good for you. Feed yourself upon this. Feeding God's people. Secondly, shepherds are compassionate. They look after those who are suffering. They look after those who are dying. They look after those who are grieving. And through them, God's compassion touches the lives of people. This is a precious gift in the church. Friends, elders are not managers. They're not managers. They're shepherds. They've been called to give of their lives for the sake of God's people. But then there's this final word, bishop. So... (laughs) And it's funny to us because obviously historically for us, what we've done is we've taken words that should be lined up horizontally and we've placed them vertically as if it's some kind of hierarchy. But actually in the New Testament, it's just three words that speak about the same role. And this same role is overseeing or exercising oversight. It's basically caring, leading authority that will shepherd everything that takes place in a church. Why is this important? If Rod has an absolute fascination and passion for stamp collecting... Okay, and all he talks about in the elders' meetings is stamp collecting. Okay, and all he wants New Life Beckles to be about is stamp collecting and reaching other stamp collectors. He's not fulfilling his role of a bishop, an overseer, because overseers is seeing the whole ministry of the whole church. So Rod has to be really concerned about what's happening in the kids' work. He has to be really concerned about the pastoral care that takes place through phone calls and emails and home visits, all of that, because he's got a responsibility for the whole church, not just part of it. A few other little aspects of leadership in the church that I just want to show. Notice this, how um, Peter also says, these guys, they must never do it under compulsion. Willingly. This is what can sometimes happen in churches. Somebody comes late to a meeting and they find themselves now chair of trustees. (laughs) Or something like that. You know, last one in the door, now I'm leading kids' work. That type of thing. And, And friends, that's not how leadership should work in the church. It's not under compulsion. It's not duty-bound. It's from this place of willing joy. And here's where the joy and the willingness comes from, okay? This is where it comes from, from anyone who's going to play any kind of pastoral role in a church. It comes from this. I have received Christ's pastoral care in my life. Why would I not want to give it somewhere else? Why would I not want to pour that out into other people's lives? I have received from Christ fully and wonderfully. So I want to do my best to take care of God's people. That's the heart of pastoral ministry. That's what you need to be praying for over this coming season. Another thing Peter says is, not for shameful gain, but an eagerness to serve. 
friends, no one gets into church ministry for shameful gain. Okay? No one gets into it for that. But that desire to serve God's people. I mean, maybe I'm not going to get invited back after what I'm about to say ever again. Okay? But please, just look around the room for a minute. Okay? This is quite an odd group of people, isn't it? And what I mean by odd is, where else in the world would this group of people meet together? Where else than in the church of Jesus Christ? And leadership is about willingly serving quite an eclectic group of people and helping this group of people to grow into one family that loves Jesus much. That's what leadership looks like. And then the final thing is this, not domineering, or in, I think in the NIV it says not lording it over, but being examples to the flock. Now I just want to pause here for a moment and ask a question. If I was to go around the room and ask you the question, what does domineering leadership look like? What would you say? What would be the picture that fills our mind? Because the problem is, we don't really have a dictionary definition of it, do we? All we have is examples. Well, not like that particular politician or that particular boss, but more like Mother Teresa. And so we end up doing these compare and contrasts that are taking place. And so this passage is designed for you to go, what we're looking for in our leaders is people that set an example for our lives and they don't domineer or they don't kind of lord it over us, but then we don't really have the definition of what that looks like. And so these verses then lose power in helping shape a community. So let me give you some examples. To be clear on the way forward, after much prayer and discussion with others in the church, is not domineering leadership, that's good leadership. Let me say that again, because I think in a season like this, this is really important for you as a church. After lots of prayer, lots of conversations, lots of cups of tea, lots of like trying to discern the will of God, to, sub- to be able to get to that place and say, friends, we've got to go this way. That's good leadership. Because it helps the whole church then go, yeah, let's go for this. Let's really go for this. That's good leadership. To wrestle with difficult doctrinal issues, then to try and lay them out simply for the whole church. But by doing that, to put some markers down for the church isn't domineering leadership. That's called good leadership. To be able to say, no, friends, that's heresy. But this is wholesome. That's actually good leadership. It, you know, I want to be part of a church like that, where there are leaders that are saying, helping us to navigate the craziness of the Christian world and to be able to walk faithfully with God. That's good leadership when they address issues like that. To call people to repentance for sinful ways of life is not domineering leadership. It's good leadership. Do you want to know what we did in our first... We had our Elders Away Day two weeks ago at Kingsgate. Do you want to know what the first hour was? No? Okay, I'll move on. Do you want to know? We confessed our sins to one another. As the New Testament says, 
all Christians should do. Because we want to practice what we preach. We want to be leaders that humbly recognize that our hearts are full of temptations and sin and we need one another to walk faithfully with Jesus. But to be able to speak about sin is not domineering leadership. To be able to speak about these temptations in our world is not domineering leadership. It's good leadership. Here's my suggestion for a definition of what domineering leadership looks like. Domineering leadership suppresses debate. Just like, squashes it. The moment, any debate. Just, it expects change now, rather than recognizing that sanctification often takes years. Years. So it's like, Somebody maybe comes and talks, I've I've got this issue I'm wrestling with. Deal with it now. Rather than recognize, no, this could be a journey that could take years. And so, as good leaders, you want to walk with them and prayerfully encourage them to keep trusting God and believing God for change in those circumstances. Leadership in the church is meant to be about example setting example setting. Not perfect. We look to Christ for the perfect example. But we look to leaders. Uh, One of the ways that I often describe it is, often leadership is a bit like having the template that you photocopy into your life. Does that make sense? So it's like, you take this bit of paper and it's like, how do I pray? Well, one of the ways of answering that question is to look to Scripture. And that's a brilliant place to start. Another place is to go to people who are leaders in the church and say, how do I pray? Hopefully they're going to say, why don't you come with me? And we'll learn together. Photocopying it into their lives. Replicating the things that God has taught them into other people's lives. Leadership is about setting an example in commitment sacrificial giving, diligence in prayer, studying the Bible, loving people, being generous with your time, your talents and your treasure, all of that. I think that's a pretty hard gig. Don't you? And that's why these guys, I'm sure, would treasure your prayers. Would treasure your prayers. However, this passage doesn't finish there. I want to just briefly look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. This is what Peter's saying here. He's saying, you who are younger who are 99, be subject to elders who are 23. Did you get that? He's basically using the idea of eldership and young, and it's got absolutely nothing to do with age. It's to do with the spiritual family of God. And what he's saying is, those of us in the church family are never passive when it comes to church life. We either oppose leadership or we submit to leadership. But you're never passive. And so, I want to, I guess, ask you a very challenging question. As a member here at New Life, 
do you willing, willingly, joyfully submit to the leaders that God has given you? That God's given you. Because leadership is not a man-made thing. It is with men and women in the church, but it isn't man-made. God appoints leaders in the church. And our responsibility as people in church communities is to willingly submit to those whom God has made elders or leaders over us. That's quite challenging, isn't it? Because if these guys are anything like me, I've got loads of frailty. I've got loads of things that are in a muddle. I've got loads of things that probably wind people up at Kingsgate. There must be. And yet, Scripture says our responsibility is to submit to them. Now, let me be clear. Submission does not mean blow your brains out. It's not like, you know, whatever they say now is, is gospel. That's not submission. Submission is a willingness to invite their counsel into your life. A willingness. They can't impose it. It's a willingness to invite their counsel. It's a willingness to listen to what they have to say. It's a willingness to a degree to recognize that if the issue that's being addressed isn't a scriptural issue, so this is not a doctrinal issue, it's just a preference issue, and they're like, hey guys, you know, we're going with blue chairs in the new building. Okay. It's like, who's going to fight them on that? You know, who's going to fight them on that? we've, We've got a whole town to reach with the gospel. This isn't a doctrinal issue. This isn't a gospel issue. And so there's a willing submission. And if they're anything like I know they are, what they'll be doing is they'll be pushing that responsibility out to other people anyway. And that's the joy of church life. I Honestly, at Kingsgate, I know so little of what's going on. Because we've got great leaders all over the church that are making decisions. And we trust them. And it's wonderful to see. But it's a willingness in our hearts to go, if this isn't a gospel issue, I'm going to submit to it. It might not be my preference. You know, maybe there's people here that your preference would be to meet at 4.30 in the afternoon. Because you're a night owl. And getting up for a morning meeting is a bit tough. It's a preference. But we just submit because actually we're about the whole family together coming into God's mission. Does that make sense? However, Peter goes even further than that. Peter is not just looking at one individual relationship to a leader. What does he then say? He says this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility to who? To one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, I I just want to encourage you if you've got a Bible, to underline that phrase, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a recurring theme of Scripture. And let me start by saying this. I'm not quite sure I know what God's active opposition of his people looks like, but I don't want to find out. (laughs) Do you? And the Scripture says... 
the attitude of the church family is to be people who humbly, humbly have a, have a heart of humility towards one another. So what that means is spiritual authority comes down from Christ, he appoints elders, and then Christ, who is your head, he looks to you, each one of you, and he's saying, what happens between you and every other person in this congregation matters to me. That's what Christ is saying. It matters to me. And so, I'm just using Rod here because I'm allowed to. (laughs) Imagine for a moment that after this morning, um, sorry, I don't know your name, the guy on the back row, John, winds Rod up. I mean, really winds him up. What happens next week when they both come in here matters. Will Rod have humility of heart to be able to go up to John and say, John, do you know what? What you said to me, whether you knew it or not, has just caused me real friction this week. Can we just deal with this? And for Rod not to, sorry, John not to go boom and go nuclear really matters. Because this isn't about a social club. This is about the church of Jesus Christ. And Christ, our said, is how that relationship matters to him. And here's the thing. In a growing church, you can't rely upon history to hold you together. What would happen if 20 new people came and joined you next week? And then 20 new people joined you the week after? And then 20 new people joined you the week after. Your history suddenly got stretched to breaking point. What will hold you together in those moments is that Christ is your head. And that how you choose to live together will be shaped by what he says. And he says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's his words to his people. Live this way. And in that context, there's safety. Even when people fall out, it won't last for 30 years. Hopefully it'll last for three minutes. And they'll deal with it. Friends, this is spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is recognizing that every aspect of our lives together as a church comes under the lordship of Jesus. It's wonderful It's beautiful. This is how Christ intends it to be. And here's my final point for you. I think I could have called this message New Life's Evangelistic Strategy. And what I mean by that is that how you live together as people, I believe in our culture, will increasingly become fascinating attractive, a bit scary to the people of Beckles because we live in a culture that is so me, myself and I when they see a community living together that is like intriguing, like how does this work? Why are people not jostling for power? Why are people not climbing the greasy pole? Why is none of that happening here? That will be intriguing to them. And so doors of opportunity to speak about who Christ is will open. And so friends, this really matters. 
that you get this right going forward. This is part of your evangelistic strategy. Have I overshot? Okay, I will, I will stop there. Um, I have so many more things I could say, but let me, let me finish here. I want, maybe you could just close your eyes for a moment. Imagine Laura Ashley, the building. All those walls knocked down. A few chairs in there. Week in, week out. You're meeting with lots and lots of new people. What is it that's going to attract them to Jesus? One of the answers, not the only answer, but one of the answers is your relationships together under Christ. How you choose to live together. And so I I want to just encourage you In any church that's been around for more than five minutes, there are some things that potentially have got pushed under the carpet. Maybe, you know, a disappointment, a hurt. These are moments, as you're thinking about a new season of mission, to lay them at the foot of Christ. Say, Lord, more than what this has done to me, I want to be part of what you are doing. And you might have to go and talk to some people. You can talk to the elders here, whatever. But right now, this is between you and Christ. And it might be even saying, Lord, forgive me for holding on to this for so long. Just take a moment to lay those things at the foot of Christ. Now, secondly, I want to invite you, and if you feel comfortable, maybe just to open your hands in front of you, just as a really a very simple sign of saying, Lord, I'm looking to you. Lord, we come to you and we recognize that there is joy at being your people. According to Ephesians 2, one of the outworkings of the cross was that you would make one new man, a people for yourself. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to that here in Beckles. And we pray, Lord, that this would intrigue our friends, that it would fascinate our neighbours, that they would see a community growing up here that does not look like the world. So we give ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen.